hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to today's PLG Confessions. I'm extremely happy and honored to have Nicole Mace uh, join us today. Uh, Nicole runs Product Gross at Pendo and before that was running everything PLG related at LastPass. Uh, she's super passionate about product management and you know has a ton of uh, product-led experience. So I, I do think we're, we're in for a treat today. Um, and aside from that, I hear that She's an avid uh, skier, so maybe we'll we'll hear a bit about like what are the best uh, resorts on the on the East Coast. For, unfortunately, don't know many. And rumor has it that she also has a mean recipe for lobster risotto. So I'd say watch the uh, like Casey from Open Views uh, um, PLG walks because uh, she gives us the recipe. Uh, but Nicole, thanks a ton for joining us today. Super excited to um, to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to be here and a thrill. And, you know, I'm just such a PLG super fan. So it's it's a treat to be able to talk about it. Perfect. And so I guess uh, to get started, um, what what does PLG mean in your mind? Because I think there there are a lot of definitions out there. And so it's always helpful to, to get a sense for where you stand uh, around PLG. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I truly believe that it is using the product to really drive your go-to-market strategy. So it really is about getting people in, having them have this amazing aha experience to the point that they're ready to buy. So it's it really, um, for those of us in product, it really levels up uh, what we need to do with our software. It has to really be fantastic. We have to you know, rock them immediately um, to get them excited and, and want them to engage more. That makes a ton of sense, and, and I know there there are a lot of um, of topics around that. There's like virality. There's like the concept of sidecar products and um, and all of that. But ultimately, I, I like how you're uh, you're saying it's really like getting the the customer or the user as quickly as possible to some form of aha moment where they get value and they understand that there's value in being in for the the long run. One of the the questions that that come up a lot from people that are either getting started in PLG or, or have a PLG motion is what do um, org charts look like uh, when it comes to, to PLG orgs? And I think given your experience, both at Pendo and at LastPass, I think you have a lot of, you have a lot to say around that. So I'm super curious to hear what the org structure looks like uh, at Pendo and then maybe at, at LastPass. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, there are many, many different models um, of how do you how do you manage a growth team? Sometimes growth comes out of marketing, but more often than not, um, it comes out of product. Um, but it really requires massive collaboration, right? Your your best friends are the marketing folks. Um, the data scientists, you need an engineering team. Um, and that's why it's more typically um, following in product. So the way um, that we manage it at Pendo is really cross-functional, as I just said. Um, it sits in product. Um, but what is the most important part is we have team members that are 100% dedicated to product-led growth. And what that means is you have people across the org and their number one thing that they think about is achieving the goals of PLG every day. So when they're in the shower, they're thinking about second week retention. They're thinking about conversion. They might be a data scientist. They may be your growth marketer. They might be your engineer, but you have this cross-functional team that's 100% dedicated. So we don't have a reporting structure. I run the group. We don't have a reporting structure where everybody reports up to 
me. Um, it's more everyone is focused on the same goal and we align together on those goals. Um, and I like it that way. Everyone has their home of expertise. A marketer really wants to learn from the marketer above them and be part of the marketing team. Same thing with data science, design, et cetera. So in my opinion, as long as you can have everyone focused on the same goals for PLG and have alignment there, then everyone can report up to their respective departments. Um, I think where you run into issues, um, and I had this at LastPass, we made a ton of progress, but when you start the PLG motion, and you don't have 100% dedication because then the folks that you're really counting on are very split, right? So they may have other obligations within their marketing group or data science group. Um, and at a critical time, you might need all of their time, but they just can't give it. Um, so it's really about that alignment across the org. Is the the 100% dedication something that is time bound or is it something that is... Uh, a specific role. So are basically people like 100% dedicated to PLG potentially for one, two quarters, or that no, they're hired specifically for uh, that purpose? Yeah, so they're hired specifically for that purpose, right? Um, you know, I think there are people, lots of people are learning and growing. So a lot of times people are moved into those roles um, within the company. And they're the folks who have a fire in their belly, are open to, you know, doing something new, like to move quickly, like to iterate, you know, are really driven um, by metrics. So those folks um, who are oriented that way are often drawn to product-led growth. So maybe they don't have the experience, but they're open-minded and um, want to join in. So that's that's what I've seen happen. That makes sense. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting that, that you were mentioning when we first talked was um, that at Pendo, one of the things that you're trying to do differently from LastPass is make sure that um, the teams that are in this PLG part of the org uh, are not feature teams, right? So they're solely, that's like, again, like in that 100% dedicated, really like the main thing that PMs are thinking about is product-led growth. It's not, oh, and also how do we maintain this dashboarding feature that we have in the product and how do we ship features for um, for those? And and I thought that was, a, that was a very interesting distinction, probably something that came from, you know, trials and tribulations at, at LastPass and having PMs kind of split between we have to keep on shipping features for existing customers against the roadmap. And at the same time, we have to figure out how to um, make the uh, the PLG journey better for the users. Um, I'm curious on the, on, on the engineering front, how things look like, right? So it makes sense to have a PM solely dedicated to, to PLG. On the engineering front, how um, how are the resources split, and how do you recommend potentially like having them split as uh, the PLG team grows at Pendo? Um, so, do you mean how are they split within the company? Features for features focused, right? Versus- and so, so do you have like you know a certain number of engineers again solely dedicated to PLG? Are those hires for that, or is it again something where we have like engineers that might switch from one role to another? Right. No, we have, and this is the difference of, um, you know, I learned a lot when I was at LastPass. <laughs> I learned it's really hard to mix and match having feature teams within the same group 
and um, ones that need to work in a much faster pace um, based on feedback as you go. Um, so we have an entire team that is focused on PLG. So everything we are constantly reprioritizing based on what we've recently learned. For example, we just launched a self-serve self pay and a new starter plan for Pendo, and we're getting some feedback. And there are a couple of things that, that were on our plan of what we wanted to do, but based on that feedback, we need to quickly reprioritize. And with a team that's in the mix, an engineering team that knows this is what we're trying to do, we're all trying to hit this goal, it's not, um, a lot of times you find there's a disconnect between product and engineering. Why are we doing this? What are the goals? And PLG, that's not the case. And I have the engineers very, very involved. I love to have their brains. So they are involved. We do a PLG learnings and metrics meeting every week. It's an open meeting. Anyone in the company can come. The engineers come. Um, you know, lots of folks come, but I love the ideas that come out of the combination of having engineering and marketing folks that would never talk together. So it creates a team that is, it's it's less just that scrum team, it's this broader team that the engineers are also interacting with. So it's a different cadence um, than if you're just, not just a feature team. I've spent my whole life developing features, not just a feature team, but a feature team, you're doing more planning, right? You're doing more planning. It's more, um, more sort of thoughtful upfront. Um, not that there's not thought in a PLG strategy, but you are open to switching things up as you go. Right. It's almost kind of a startup within the, within the startup. That's right. That's right. And, and so I'm curious, kind of looking back at uh, the experience at, at LastPass, um, which, yeah, I mean, had millions and millions of, uh, of users. Um, what are things maybe that, yeah, that didn't work that, that you think are like core learnings that you've, you've taken with you to try and make sure that you, you don't go down that path again? Yeah, um, I, I think there are, there are a few. One is you, you really need that commitment um, for PLG, not just from the product leaders, you need to also have it from the marketing leaders. Um, it's very hard to drive a PLG motion without complete um, commitment to, to developing the motion and that strategy for the business. So it needs to come from the top down. Um, sometimes CEOs don't get quite as involved. Actually, our CEO is very involved, but um, and LastPass's case, it didn't really matter whether the CEO was involved, but having the head of marketing and the head of product align that this is something we care about that we're going to prioritize is critically important. And, you know, I, I think I think it, it took us a while to really get the marketing um, senior leadership on board with PLG at LastPass. By the time I left, I think we were there. Um, but um, you know that that's really tough because when you have product and engineering and data moving forward at a very fast clip, it's hard to be dragging along um, another group. Um, and now you know now they're very involved. The marketing team is is really doing so much. Um, we ended up having sort of folks in marketing kind of almost volunteer um, to get involved with PLG because they, you know, they, they were started to drink the Kool-Aid, they loved it, and they were almost volunteering their time for, for PLG, which, you know, we were really grateful for and, and made our motion better. But you never want 
anyone to feel like they're volunteering their time. It is a job and, you know, you shouldn't be doing time and a half um, to make PLG happen. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And what what is your read on what was, you know, at the, the core of that either reluctance or, or you know, not explicit desire to, um, to align the teams on that? Like, why was marketing potentially not necessarily that bought in originally? Yeah, I think, um, I think a, a lot of it had to do just merely with the organizational structure. They really weren't set up to be able to support it. Just, you know, um, a little bit the skill set, but mainly just the way it was organized. Um, you know, the website was completely separate. Um, you, you had a whole department that was focused on email campaigns, right? But you need those folks for um, in product. We actually use Pendo there. You need the people who are writing the emails to also be involved in the in-product messaging. And that may not be a thing that, you know, that team is really set up to do. So um, there were a lot of organizational challenges. And I think um, if you have a head of marketing that is on board with it, um, that makes a huge difference. And, you know, after I left, they really did have someone who was head of marketing um, growth, which was was fantastic. But it took a while. That took a while. That makes sense. And I, I totally see how like it it's one of those cases where potentially the the org structure can get in the way of you know running experiments because you have like everyone to some extent kind of siloed and focusing on their own things. And because PLG is such a transversal um strategy, I mean, I think like too too many people think it's just slapping a free trial on their website that means that they're PLG, but it's actually like a complete mindset on. Yeah. How do you sell? How do you market? How do you onboard? How do you retain? How do you grow? And and it's it, it involves everyone. And I think one of the the things we were we were talking about is how this you know like organizationally, if people are not necessarily like ready to you know to to go into having a a fully dedicated org, like the idea of the the tribes and squads can potentially make sense. Like we have an engineering where a tribe is essentially for those who don't know. You have different tribes like marketers, salespeople, product, engineering, and then a squad is a grouping of people across different tribes um, that are uh, focusing on one initiative. And, and PLG is like a good example of that where you need a marketer, you need someone from sales to be able to figure out how to upsell the people that are using the product. You need PMs, you need engineers. Then at some point you realize that this is not just a small, like a quarterly initiative. It's probably something that warrants having a you know, a longer term uh, team. And then hopefully at that point you start, um, you know, doing what Nicole did and actually being able to, you know, put a team together uh, and hire people that are wanting to do uh, PLG. One question around, uh, around that org structure that I, I don't think we've discussed is um, where, um, wh where does product marketing fit in all of this? Cause like product marketing is always like at the frontier of product and marketing. Right. Uh, and so I'm really curious to understand like how you think about this. Yeah, so it, it is interesting because, um, you know, I think we all know sort of the, the traditional um, definition of what, what product marketing is. Um, but when then you take it into PLG, you're then in a place where, you know, with PLG, you're always doing experiments, right? So it's not, we have to have the perfect messaging, the perfect research of how we're communicating this product. It's no, no, no. We have like 10 different things that, that we want to test and learn. So 
what what we're finding is we have um, we have product marketers that are are involved and in, and dedicated to growth, but we also have growth marketers, and the growth marketers are wearing a lot of different hats, right? So sometimes they might bleed into messaging. Um, but they're working closely with product marketers say, hey, take a look at this. You know, what do you think? Could we make this a little better? I'm running these four experiments. What do you think about this? Here's the messaging we're going to put in the email. Does that make sense? And um, can we tie it together from, you know, the messaging and the product to the email, you know, to how we're following up when when they close out? Um, so that sort of life cycle um, creates a situation where everyone's wearing a lot of different hats. And I think the product marketer can kind of sort of sit on the side and be a consultant or they can, if they, if they can, they're really, you know, in deep rolling up their sleeves and helping to figure out um, how can we message to different personas? Um, how can we make the most of our jobs to be done? So really kind of a, a team member. And as a, um, you know, again, if, if people out there are thinking about, or starting kind of their their PLG team, what would be that that first hire? Like, I guess even if we're just talking like product marketers versus growth marketer, like what would you recommend as the first hire? And then maybe from that more generally, like what would be the the first one to three hires that you would make if if you were to join another org and, and have to start this again? Yeah, I, I think um, you know I, I I would start with a growth marketer, and uh, over, merely because the growth marketer is the marketer that can do everything, right? They are doing everything with the lens of PLG. Um, so, you know, that person who can wear so many different hats. Um, so really someone who's very skilled in marketing and it loves PLG, right? Just is drinking the Kool-Aid, can get all over it. That's who you want to start out. I would say you have to have data science. Like this is a metric business through and through. Um, so you need to be able to um, not only measure, you can use tools like, like Pendo and others, but you, you need to also be doing the analysis um, and you need to always be running experiments. So, you know, so if you have add in a data scientist, you're you're definitely off to the, the right um, the right place. A lot of times it's not so easy to get all your data sources together. How do you want to evaluate? What are your pillars? Make sure that you're tracking everything um, as you want. So that I would say is absolutely critical. You need engineers too. So uh, I know a lot of companies will say, oh, we're starting our PLG motion, but we don't have engineers. Well, you you can only go so far, right? You can make some progress, but um, you know, engineers are software builders and you need to make changes to your software to make PLG really work. Um, so I, I would say you definitely need a couple engineers at that point. Makes sense. Yeah, and I think this is where a lot of those companies unfortunately live under the assumption that slapping that CTA on, on the website that says freemium or, or free trial and not like just like adding a paywall at some point is kind of how you do PLG. And yeah, it, it very, very seldom works that way. Right. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it's a completely different, you're not, it is a different experience. It's a different way of thinking about the customer journey about how you educate people along the way. And I think that's one of the big mistakes that, um, yeah, I, I've seen people um, make going through this. And and maybe one of the things that this leads to, and and I think one of, one of the reasons like people have a hard time 
really diving into PLG when potentially they have a more sales-led motion originally uh, at their organization is that there's a lot of FUD from sales. Right? Like sales is generally going to be fearful of one, um, someone's going to swipe their credit cards. If there's any Office fans out there, I'm a huge fan of the episode when they release um, Thunder Mifflin Infinity and uh, Dwight tries to outsell the machine. And it's like this massive episode where like Dwight is fighting to outsell the machine. And I, I do feel like that's how reps feel. They're like, oh my God, this like machine is like always on. It's always selling. And it's just, yeah. even Dwight has a hard time beating the machine. So anyway, there's that fear. And there's the fear also that we, we tend to skew distribution towards potentially like more of the SMB because like free trial tends to appeal more to SMB than enterprise, or at least that's a common kind of way of thinking. So I'm really curious, like how, how do you go about combating that, that FUD uh, within the sales organization? Yeah, that, that is a loaded question. There are so many pieces to that, but it really, it's so, it's so important. Right. Um, so um, I'll, I'll give you a little history. Um, Three years ago, Pendo came out with their free product, and initially, initially, sales said, "Oh my gosh, you're giving it away for free! No one's, no one's going to buy." And over time, free became what it's meant to be, right? This, this flywheel, this, this way to to drive um, product qualified leads right into their inbox, into into Salesforce. So that became a way that sales began to really count on. Um, PLG. That was sort of the very first motion. Um, but there was a lot of fear around that. Um, and now, and even the sales folks now say, I remember when free came out and we were so nervous about it. We're now in a, a state where we just offered, we just released self-serve pay so people can actually pay. And we're sort of going down a similar path. And some of the sales folks that have been around for a long time have said, don't worry, <laughs> this will help us eventually. And here's here's how it's going to play out. Um, but it's, you know, it's really about... Um, you know, PLG is really effectively a land and expand um, motion, right? So it is a way we have lots of data. You have data. Three out of four enterprise buyers actually want to try it out themselves. So it's not always just the small guys. And we've been tracking, and I'm sure many other companies do too, who's coming through free? Well, it's not just the small guys. And they may be very large customers. It's, you know, someone who's like, oh, I want to go. I'm, I'm interested in this product. And it's 8 p.m. on Friday night. No one's going to talk to me. I'll just sign up for free and check it out. Right. So this is um, a motion, a way that software is just being sold, period. So it's, you know, if you if you are selling software, you want a way to be able to engage with users at different times of the day all over the world. Um, and sales begins to see the value when they start to see, wow, I got an enterprise sale that came through free. Amazing. Um, so we really do track those and we really do focus on the expand motion of, of PLG that actually, if you track these folks over time, a whole set of them are really growing um, pretty quickly. So even the ones that start off small, um, you know, a whole set of them are, are growing to be, you know, very profitable, large companies. So it almost feels like there there's an element here of, of having to like sell to the sellers to some extent of 
finding these success stories of, hey, we close whatever, like Sears or, or maybe not some buying brand. But uh, anyway, like we closed this enterprise and they started as a free user and kind of like building these to, to make sure that they become part of the, I guess, like this almost like social fabric of the organization where it's not just a belief. It's a belief anchored in stories that we're able to, to tell over and over again to, to show that there's been success. Um, I'm curious on that front, do, do you have, or, or how, like how frequently do you pull out some of those success stories and share them with the rest of the org? All the time. So we, we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, heading up the, the PLG group. I'm always trying to communicate, Hey, this is, this is the progress that we've made. Here are the successes. So we do, we actually do a bi-weekly um, meeting that is open to pretty much anyone in the company is really geared towards the C-suite to kind of go through, here's what we've done. Here are the sales that have happened. Here are some of the bigger accounts that came through. Um, so really communicating the progress that PLG has made um, to the entire company um, because it's, it's not just sales. It's everyone. So even when you go outside your little bubble of your people are dedicated to focus on PLG cross-functionally, you actually need everybody. Sometimes you really need the CFO to step in. Sometimes you need the head of sales who thinks about PLG not that often is focused on the enterprise sales to drop in and help you move something along. So um, really, you know, part of PLG is communicating the, the value to the entire company. Here's what's happening. Here's what's coming through free. Here's the opportunity that we have. Um, and people get excited about it. It's fun. It's really fun when you're using your product to, to sell. Like you're, you actually have a really, um, you've created a great experience that people want to engage with. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there are two parts that I love about this. One of them is that PLG is a really good, I mean, the initiatives internally are a great unifier within the organization, right? It really brings everyone together and everyone can have an impact on it. And it's it's rare, you know, post the very early stages of a company where you have some kind of like, you know, like core initiative within the organization where everybody can have an impact. So I think it's a really good um, rallying function um, within the org. Um, and the second part, I think, is by doing that also like everyone has skin in the game right like it's it's everyone is success and i think there's something around that from like when you're owning plg to make sure that everyone sees it that way right like that it's a great way also to reward people for whatever ideas they had and there are going to be good ideas from from everyone and everyone is needed to, to be a part of this but there's definitely a lot of value in, in at least uh kind of the meeting that you're talking about to constantly re-evangelize why PLG is good and why this is like, it's not me, Nicole, my project. It's like, right. it's your part. Like we're all in this together. This <laughs> is what is going to make the company. And like when their ideas come to fruition and they start seeing success from them, I guess like that's how you also get the internal kind of flywheel where then like you have more people evangelizing uh, the PLG or um, drive. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um. And, and on the, because we're still on the topic of, of sales, I guess you mentioned the head of sales. Um, how, how do you interact with uh, the head of sales to, you know, discuss compensation or like, how have you thought about reducing the, the pushback on having a self-serve um, conversion model 
um, because that generally like means, oh, there are some people that are going to swipe the credit card instead of signing a contract. That means, you know, no commission for the rep that hypothetically would have closed that deal. Um, how, yeah. How have you discussed like easing through that transition? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great question. And, you know, I think um, some of it depends on the direction that you're coming from. If your, your business starts off and you start off entirely PLG and then you mm -hmm. layer in sales, that's different. If you have a sales led company and then you are driving a PLG motion um, it is, it is, there's conflict there. Right. Um, and the reality is, is especially when you're starting a new motion, you want sales to be involved. It doesn't, you don't need no touch. That's not the initial goal. You actually want them to engage with, with these, with these users who are using your free product, who've signed up for trial. You want to hear, well, what else do they need? Are they getting stuck anywhere? They are the closest to the customer. So I see it really as a partnership and we do maintain commission structures at, at all levels, even if someone self-serves pay, um, you know, that, that is, that is important um, because it's a shared thing over time, maybe, you know, but it could be years before we nail everything that we say that sales says, you know what, I'd rather put my time in on some other sales. You've got, you've got sort of those, those initial um, sales I'll focus on expand, right? Um, I think that's a really long road. Got it. And so in what you're saying, if I understood correctly, so reps can be comped on a self-serve conversion today? For sure. Yep. I think that, yeah, that, that's super smart. And I, I think that's one of the it's something that we hear a lot of companies do, especially, you know, moving from sales led to um, to product led of making sure that there's still a round robin that's happening for um, the signups and that conversions are essentially that the reps have some kind of um, quota attainment on overall revenue and not just on um, on their revenue and could be then like their metrics of like, do they touch before the conversion happens or whatnot? But I think it's a it's a really good way to make sure that the the reps don't feel like we're taking something away from them. And at some point when they start seeing like more volume, more success, then it, it's easier to kind of like slowly change the, the weights in, in the quotas. Um, moving maybe to um, more of the organizational side of things, again, as the, the leader of, uh, I guess, like the, the product led team at Pendo, um, I'm curious, what, what are the rituals that you use for, uh, for your planning? What's kind of the, what's the basis of it and and maybe what's the frequency at which the team gets together i know you mentioned like the the bi-weekly um yeah meeting but yeah curious to hear what your the different rituals are yeah um sure so one of the things that i think is pretty critical um with plg is to have a strategy document that you're um working from so you in the reality is you're always sort of updating it, right? It's sort of this living document. But with PLG, you know, you're making a lot of changes as you go. But to know where you're trying to go, what is your strategy for the year? What are you trying to achieve with PLG um, makes a huge difference. Um, you can go back to that document as I do all the time. Okay, you know, this is this is where we thought we would be. These are the, the goals that we have, the metrics we want to attain. Um, so we have this strategy doc that we use, um, and then we also do quarterly planning. So we will say, you know, here are the things that, that the big things that we 
we think we're going to get done in the next three months. They may change, um, but you know, this is this is kind of how we see it. So we do communicate that. We communicate that via video and you know um, roadmaps and things like that. From a cadence standpoint, we have a weekly. Um, PLG um, metrics and learning meeting. I love this meeting. It's cross-functional. It's open to anyone. We have sales sales team members come, love to hear what, what they have to share. And it's what it's about is literally sharing. What do we learn? What do we learn from experiments? What do we learn from a new release that we just put out? Let's look at the data. Let's talk about it. What is a competitor doing? Are they doing something interesting? Somebody shares like what's happening with them. Should we be thinking about something? Um, but what I love about it is this cross share. And the the benefit is that, you know, you've got, you know, an engineer that might figure out something technically and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to share what I what I figured out. And then everyone all the way to marketing is like, well, you know, you could use this in in this capacity. And it, it's just really, really exciting. So I love that meeting. It's my favorite meeting of the week. We have that once a week for an hour. We run a bi-weekly meeting, as I said, that is geared towards the C-suite to communicate the status, but also discussion. So it's a Amazon style six pager um, and has, um, we go through, people do the silent read, they read the update, and then we talk about topics that come up. Um, sometimes I have a specified discussion. So those are kind of the, the key things that, that we do as far as a team to communicate. Um, and then of course we, you know, we have awesome Slack channels where we share fun podcasts like this and, you know, other, other things to just keep everyone pumped and, and learning about PLG. Makes sense. Your, your new favorite meeting of the week is what I heard. Uh, I uh, on that front, I think I, I, I'm excited about this one because I think you have a, a bit of a controversial uh, point of view on this. But um, I guess like a lot of people talk about the North Star, um, may it be in growth or in product. And so uh, what is the the North Star or potentially not uh, at, uh, at Pendo for the growth team? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I spent a lot of time in my life trying to get to the North Star. Um, and it's really hard. It's really hard to get it right. You can make a decision that this is our North Star, but really you want it to be very data driven. Right. Um, and it's it's really hard to get that right. Um, I, what I found to be successful and we, we did this at LastPass and we do this here is to actually have, we have like four metrics that we really care about. And then we have input metrics that we believe influence those four metrics. It's, uh, more tangible. Um, we can say, we're going to focus on this metric during this quarter, which we do often for all of our experiments are going to be all around getting people back the second week, or all of our experiments are going to be around virality. Um, so we have four that that we're super focused on, and I'm not ready to go down the North Star. <laughs> we're not mature enough to to nail a North Star. Um, you know, at last pass, we really, really tried. We made a decision. And if you don't have the right North Star, then you find yourself making bad decisions to support the North Star. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm impressed. I love Airbnbs. I think some companies have probably really nailed it, but it's hard. It's hard to get that right. Yeah. And I think it's it's also, I mean, this is one of those where sometimes it's a bit tricky because um, the North Star in hindsight is, is easier to talk about in 
podcasts and in uh you know on on stage and things like that where it kind of all aligns and you're kind of like telling the story through the lens of that north star um which from from experience isn't always the case while building right and you realize that in hindsight you kind of like change the story just a tiny little bit to make sure that all the pieces align nicely and i think that's i mean one of the reasons why we started this this podcast and why i'm i'm happy that you know, you're you're being honest here and not saying oh yeah we have a north star and it's like this super compounded metric that like takes these four input metrics and like everyone is super excited and, and driven by them and saying no i mean like there's like four core things or metrics that we're tracking and we're going to focus on some more than others during um you know specific moments and i think you had a a really interesting story from from last pass on how you know picking one metric and i think this was more about the aha moment but how even like putting everything onto one single um, milestone in the journey could actually be, um, you know, detrimental to the overall experience. And so I'm curious to, yeah, to, to hear if, uh, if you want to share that, that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is around the North star, right? So we, we spent a lot of time for those of you guys who don't know LastPass, a password manager um, tool. And so you're sharing passwords. It automatically um, populates passwords on, on your mobile and on, on web. Um, it can generate passwords. Um, probably only about 10% of LastPass users generate a password, or at least when I was there. Um, but those folks who generate a password are very sticky. They're very likely to buy. They're going to stay with you for a very, very long time. Um, super interesting, but small percent of people who, who want to use that functionality. Um, but what a lot of people want is to fill your password. So we thought that that must be it. That's our that's our aha. That's what we need to focus on, getting the password filled for everyone as soon as humanly possible. And yeah, we did it and it's great. And of course, you know, everybody wants that functionality, um, but it's not the stickiest thing, right? It's not the thing that will keep them forever and make them, you know, you know, these promoters. Um, it's not the end all be all and, and really probably generate password is, but it only really covers a small percent. So that's where I found that it just wasn't working. Like we were, we were trying to shoehorn ourselves into a North star and we just didn't have it. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, we were doing, um, a PLG in the boardroom, um, webinar, uh, a few days ago with, uh, uh, Kyle from from OpenView, and one of the things that I think he shared that was really interesting is how um, you want to use PLG to address like certain points of friction, um, and, and sometimes that those points of frictions are going to change over time as you're as you fix one, then it's probably going to be somewhere else. Yeah, and that's where I think the North Star can be a little bit dangerous because it definitely makes sense that you know filling um, you know a password with LastPass. I'm, I'm a huge fan of LastPass. Um, it's it's definitely an activation moment, right? If you don't ever do that, for sure, you're never gonna buy it. I mean, you just ne you've never seen value from the right. product, right? Right. <clears throat> and on on the flip side, you have okay, like generating complex passwords, um, awesome feature as well. But I think that's maybe more for people that are that have a very specific need, and you know that people that do that are likely to to convert. But it's not necessarily that we want everyone to get there. And the question is like where in between is the friction, right? And is it getting to having filled 
X amounts of uh, of passwords in a given time frame. I mean, this automatically brings back the this, the concept of the aha moment from Facebook, right? It was the mm-hmm. I think seven friends in the first ten days, or right. or the right. ten friends in the first seven days, like one of the two, um, which is interesting because there's that kind of like it's not just doing it once, which is really activation. It's also like you need to get to that point where you've done it enough that you've seen value where you're likely to recommend other people join um, or, or actually even pay. Is that something that at LastPass you, um, you were exploring of like, is there kind of some kind of number of instances of doing this? And, and it wasn't necessarily super telling. For sure. For sure. Um, we, we definitely looked at that. We looked at, we, we did some sort of like composite as well. Um, if people do these three things, um, these, and we do this at, um, Pendo to uh, core events if they achieve these core events. Um, so we did. And I, 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 it's not that I don't think it can be done, but is it the best use of your time to, um, to really go deep, deep, deep into trying to nail that if really what, what you need to do is like, just get them back just get them back to your product, right? If you could just get them back, if you could move that needle a little bit, you've won. Um, so I I, uh, I think it can be done. I think it requires a tremendous amount of work um, if it's not obvious. Some, some businesses, it's obvious. Um, you know, one business I was at BevSpot and, uh, you know, we did, we found that if people did three inventories. BevSpot does ordering an online um, or um, ordering an inventory for bars and restaurants. And we found if people did three inventories, we had them. Like that was it. We need to get them to do three inventories in three months. So that was, it was a much more clear cut. Um, so I, I I don't think it's clear cut at LastPass. I don't think it's clear cut um, at Pendo either. Right. And, and I love this idea. There's a, I think the, the Cano model is one of the, the ways that, uh, or one of the methodologies, I think, in product to try and identify different uh, friction points. I think it's super interesting where you represent the, um, the user journey and you look for where are the light moments and where are kind of like potential disappointments. And the idea is like you constantly want to address all the friction points and like bring them to at least be like a neutral experience. And and what I like about that visualization is that you start very quickly understanding that that view, that kind of model of your onboarding is going to should change every month almost. Right. Because like you find a, you know, disappointment point and you should have that fixed very quickly. And so that's why then the metric is constantly moving. It's like overall, like you're measuring the impact of this via metrics. But the thing that you're trying to change might be at different stages um, and, and I think that's where, you know, having a more complex to some extent with like four metrics view of, uh, what we're trying to accomplish allows for, um, a lot more nuance and, uh, you know, a lot more flexibility than trying to like push everything into like this one metric, uh, and potentially be blindsided by it. Um, maybe the last question, to, uh, were, were, you know, time flies. Uh, I think Pendo is really interesting because um, LastPass, pretty obvious that you want a PLG motion, right? Like a, it, the barrier to activation is pretty low. The The barrier to getting started is, is low. I think Pendo, what's interesting is that it, it plays in a space where it's fairly data heavy. 
And it's once you start seeing insights, once you start seeing people, you know, having a better onboarding because of the in-app uh, uh, features that that you start seeing that value. So how how should people think about starting a PLG initiative when their product is potentially data heavy and, it, and they feel like it's going to be too hard to have either a freemium or a free trial version of their product? Yeah. Um, so... I, I, there, there are a few different routes. Um, I think we had talked about this a little bit. Um, you, you know, your, your, your job again, back to PLG is you're using the product to, to be your go-to-market, to sell the product, right? So there are ways that you can have a sandbox option, right? If, if it's too much, if, for example, um, BevSpot that I talked about, you needed the inventory data. You needed the inven You needed multiple inventories to see how things changed over time. Um, so we build out a sandbox. We have a sandbox appendo as well. So that allows someone to come in and see a fully populated account that they can play around with for free, right? That's easy. It's easy to get someone um, right into that. So I think that's that's an important thing. Um, to think about. I also am a big fan of side, the sidecar um, concept, right? There are an, another one I'll, I'll tell you about BevSpot. We have that, but I know HubSpot is famous for their sidecar. But it, what, what you're trying to do is give something of value for free. You're trying to engage that, that user so they're wowed by your product at some level. It does not have to be exactly what your fully featured everything is, but you need to capture their attention um, so that you can move them along. So the, the sidecar concept is there's some piece of your business um, that, that you can offer for free. So at BevSpot, we had a recipe coster. Um, so you could cost out how much is it going to cost you to make a certain drink? Super easy, like five inputs. People love that. And that was just a great, great launching point to expose them to other things like, hey, you know, you could order these things through Best Battery or you could do your inventory. Um, so I think there are a lot of options. I think you can also um, use, use sales, fake a trial, you know, offer provision some accounts and offer new accounts for a period of seven days and manually shut them down. That's a great way too. Um, you can use a product like Pendo to overlay an onboarding that just sits on top of their experience um, a that a product manager can do. Love it. And I love the, the idea of yeah, not being dogmatic. It's not a one size fits all. There's like many, many different ways of, uh, of solving for this. Um, awesome. Well, uh, I'm excited to jump into our, our final section, the the quick fire round, which is uh, yeah part of my uh, my favorite time of the uh, of this. But um, are you ready to jump into it? Okay. Sweet. So um, trials versus freemiums versus reverse trials. Any any opinions? Yes. Um, I'm a, a fan of really the reverse trial. I think you need, you want to have freemium. You want to have a great big bucket where people can, can come and be forever for five years. And then when they're ready to buy, they're ready to buy. But a trial is amazing to drive conversion. So if you can differentiate your trial and have sort of a fully featured trial, and then if they don't want to buy, then they're in your freemium bucket. Um, as you told me, I actually did not know that concept that, of that term of reverse trial. You told me that. Um, but that's that's what I'm a big believer in. 
Makes sense. Um, favorite ski resort uh, that you've been to? Yeah, I would say my favorite. Um, it's not the most difficult, but is really my favorite is Mount Sunapee um, in New Hampshire. It's big, wide trails, super fun. Um, you know, you can spend a week there and just have a great time. It's it's awesome for intermediate family getaways. Good stuff. And uh, how uh, how should people think about measuring conversion? Yes, I, I think this is um, this is uh, really, really important. Right. And in many ways that that's really, you know, how you're being judged at some level within your company. Are you driving people to to actually buy? Um, and a lot of times there's great data, you know, you try to get, well, what's, what's everyone else? What's their conversion? Well, a lot of things play into that, right? So it could be, are they just looking at trial to paid because they don't have a free option? If there's nothing to drop back to, it's all or nothing. That, that conversion rate is going to be way up. If you're converting people out of a free product, that's going to be way much lower, right? So, you know, um, digging a, a couple steps deeper, kind of double clicking when you see those benchmarks will create some sanity um, because it can be depressing when you see, oh, they, they've got a 20% conversion rate, you know, um, but they may be doing something totally different. So I, I really love looking at it from a cohort standpoint. That's really the right way. The quality of re registrations may vary dramatic dramatically from month to month. That's not easy to do, but you want to track those users and it may Maybe, you know, you might have a, you know, a tail on that. It might be two or three months before you see, even if you have a 14 day trial before you see the full conversion out of that. But I think doing that trial to paid conversion on a cohorted basis is probably the, the number one most consistent way to do it. And then you have a separate track for your free to paid. That makes sense. And we, we actually have a, uh, a pretty good visualization of this on, I think it was one of our first blog posts that worked really well with like where the conversions from uh, trial to, to paid, like all match kind of an S curve. And what's pretty interesting is that what we found was the length of the trial didn't impact that much what percentage of people would convert um, by the end of the, of the trial. Uh, but freemium does have a very different kind of uh, curve um, when you're looking at the, the conversions within the cohort. Um, and, and then the last, but most important question uh, what is your favorite Nick Cage movie? <laughs> I love this. Um, you know, I, I've been around for a while, and one of my favorites is Valley Girl. Um, I think it's it's really when the term like became just you know a, a word that you use five times in one sentence, and it's okay. Um, just really, really fun. You know, classic. Love it. Love it. I think it's the first time uh, someone picks that movie, but definitely <laughs> I love the reason behind it and definitely a, a good movie. Um, well, listen, Nicole, this has been a blast. Thanks a ton for for sharing candidly and openly uh, your thoughts on, on PLG. If people want to be in touch with you or like dive a little bit deeper, what's the best way to, to reach out? Yeah, I'm, you know, definitely reach out on LinkedIn. Um, you can also reach out, sign up for a free offering and, you know, we'll be, we'll be in touch. <laughs> um, no, it really LinkedIn's probably the best way. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks. again, thanks a ton for, uh, for being here. This has been a blast and, uh, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you for the next one. Thanks so Bye much. Bye-bye.